everybody and welcome to the Maya Minds podcast. I'm your host George and here at Maya Minds we want to demystify mental health and make sharing mainstream within the exercising and sporting community. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Just before we get started, I want to remind you that here on the My Minds podcast, we do often talk about eating disorders, body dysmorphia, exercise addiction, suicide, and other potentially triggering topics. Usually in the description below, I will write down what we talk about specifically in this episode. That being said, I do hope you enjoy this, but please do be careful. Hi, Lilia. How are you? I am very good. Good, good. Um, how's your day been? How, what have you been up to? Yeah, pretty well. You know, I live in Alabama on a bit of a homestead. So my day started out with me feeding my chickens, goats and ducks. What? What yeah. a day. Wow. So is that like a like a farm or like... Just like a homestead is like a mini farm where you don't have a farm full out, but you have a few animals. So, you know, talk about functional movement, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I guess. Yeah. So you, so you, so you had chickens... What was it? Sorry, you have, what, what are your animals you've got? Yeah, just a couple of chickens, a couple of ducks and goats. Amazing! Wow. Um, I, I, when I was when I was younger, I think I've said this on the pod, so people listening may have may already know this. But when I was younger, I used to live on a zoo. Um, my my mum and dad were both both worked in a zoo, so we used to live in like a little cottage, Ooh, like so on the cool. zoo. So I have, yeah, I have a, I have a past with animals as well. Um. But yeah, that's that's really cool. What a way to kind of wake up and and get. Is it morning for you at the moment? Yes, it is. Yep. So you just got up, um, looking after your animals. What a I feel like that's very peaceful, um, very centering and kind of. Yeah. Also, as well, because I didn't always live in Alabama. I used to live in California, where you don't get these big properties with land where you can keep animals as easily. So mm. yeah, I've been really liking the transition. I felt like connecting to nature here has been so helpful for me mentally, physically, spiritually. Amazing. So I yeah, thank you for for coming on the pod today. I'm excited to to hear more about what you do. I think my the most recent load of episodes have been me talking to people who um, are in an area that I know quite a bit about already through my PhD or through my work. And I feel like the stuff that you do isn't necessarily something that I know very much about. So it's quite, it feels quite refreshing to me to have this podcast mm-hmm. where I'm going to kind of learn alongside the, the listeners um, and you know learn from you and, and hear about what you do. Um, but one thing that I, I, I kind of want to start with is something that I, I do, uh, well, at least I have experienced with and therefore know a bit about just from my own experience but I know that um you are seemingly quite open about your own lived experience with disordered eating and, and eating disorders and I know that yeah. that's kind of the work you do um but I'd love to start by like hearing a bit more about your experience and maybe we can just kind of talk about some of the shared things maybe some of the differences that we have Okay, yeah. So my experience particularly with eating disorders and body type struggles. Mm, yeah, if that's okay. Okay. Yeah, sure. I do not mind if it's for an audience who actually wants to learn about that topic. So I feel like my mission and purpose in life is to help people break away of those 
negative stigmas around it. So those of us who struggle with disordered eating and uh, performance obsessions, overworking, overtraining and pushing ourselves, well, we tend to have naturally addictive and obsessive traits which is not necessarily a bad thing. It's not good or it's not bad by default. It's all in how you use it. And yet a lot of society likes to label it as a bad thing. They fear people with that naturally addictive mindset because you just get so into something. You get so absorbed in something and you can see already how it can go in either positive or negative direction. So I help people figure out what their desires truly are and what their core qualities are and how to channel that in the positive directions. Because I've done some of both for myself. I've channeled it in the good and the dark side. So Mm. if we want to get into the dark side for a little bit, yeah, I started messing around with restriction at 10 years old, largely because I had a friend in gymnastics, cheer and dance who was into that sort of thing. She was very much a quote, picky eater, as she described herself, but she do a lot of body shaming. She was skinnier than me and like, oh, you have such a fat butt and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So that influenced it. But also me naturally, um, I've been a frequent migraine sufferer since I was little. So I feel like that was a huge contribution because I randomly a few times a month since I was five, I'd get these huge migraines, like throbbing head pain, mental delirium, vision blurring, and a lot of vomiting. So I feel like that got that forced me to get used to starving myself and get used to vomiting. Like vomiting was really a natural, normal part of my life for a very long time. And so was starving myself because while you have that kind of illness, you can't eat for the entire day until your migraine is done. If you try to eat, you're just going to regurgitate it right away. So running totally on empty, also me needing to hide that stuff. Sometimes it would come on when I'm in the middle of school, gymnastics practice or anything else where it's like, I don't want to show that I'm getting sick. I don't want to make the coach or teacher upset and be like, oh, I have to drop out right now. I didn't want to disappoint people. So I got used to having to hide those sort of things. I hide how I'm feeling. So I feel that all of that contributed. It made me basically rehearse starving myself and throwing up my food unwillingly Mm. at first, but it made me used to it. And yeah, I got into anorexia at 13 officially, even though I'd been messing around with that area for a long time, officially by 13. And I had a pretty crappy recovery process because that was in the mid 2000s where a lot less was known about the emotional connections with eating disorders. It was just um, if you go to a doctor and present as underweight, they would just say, oh, it's because these girls see those models on TV and they want to be skinny and they're so shallow that they only they care about their looks and they don't care about their health or what they do to their families with it. It was a lot of shaming and fear training Hmm. 
with it. I feel like nobody even wanted to understand much about the emotional wounds that underlie it because there were lots of those. I mean, in addition, I had uh, this feeling like I wanted very tight grip of control over myself. I think that had a lot to do with transitions I had to deal with growing up. Like my parents came from Bulgaria and then we were very low income for a while. Then I had to go, I went a lot back and forth between the U.S. and Bulgaria, sometimes separated from the parents for a pretty long time, then coming back. And, you know, we'd gradually work up the income scale here. So we didn't necessarily stay low income forever. Mm -hmm. But yeah, a lot of transitions, a lot of stress that the family was harboring with all of that. Uh, As I got a little bit older, like towards my preteen and teen years, I started desiring a very tight grip of control. And that's what I feel like starving myself with the anorexia was a lot about. Mm. Yeah, utter self-control. And that's a very common theme in eating disorders. I, yeah. Most people don't realize that it is more a game of self-control than it is a vanity. I remember in that era, they wrote a lot of articles in the media called, quote, dying to be thin about the psych, oh, the pseudo psychology of anorexia. Oh, these girls just want to be skinny and that's all they care about. Like, I'm like, nobody ever dies to be thin, y'all. There still is a lot of work to be done in understanding that emotional, psychological, and even the types of neurodivergences that can influence eating disorders. But yeah, Mm. just know nobody ever dies just to be thin. It's a lot more to it than that. Well, yeah, I felt like I was really struggling against the, quote, help I was supposed to receive Because, yeah, I go to, um, my parents really wanted to help, which is great. They really cared about helping. But the knowledge of the day between um, understanding the emotional and psychological relationship of eating disorders was very archaic and not very Mm -hmm. existent, at least from what I experienced anyway. So, um, yeah, they got me a therapist who really didn't know anything about eating disorders. And we just spend a lot of time talking nonsense, like about movies and the weather and hobbies. But that really had nothing to do with actually, I, I hardly even talked about my feelings the whole time. I didn't feel understood at all. I never at that point met anyone else who was going through the same struggles. So there was that lack of empathy. There was a... And, that era, and it still is fairly common for them to give medications to kids very quickly without thinking much through the possible contraindications of it. So I had a medication that was supposed to reduce obsessive compulsive tendencies and antidepressant but it triggered more of those migraines. So there I'd be 30 pounds underweight and even more incapable of eating and then even more vomiting. And I really feel like this is a hopeless cause for me because I'm like, I try to 
be good and follow along with the help, but then it just hurts more. And then I'm more misunderstood. And then I felt like I got blamed for that because I'd get hit with, um, oh, you lost weight again. Look at that, how you don't want to recover because clearly you just care so much about being skinny and you don't care about your health or your family. And at first it was like, no, that's not the case. But then I was like, being a child, like 13, 14 at the time, I was more impressionable. So the more I heard people saying that, like, oh, you've ruined everything with this. You don't care about recovery. It kind of drilled its way into my head. Oh, I don't care about recovery. I don't care about my life. I messed up the family. I messed up my body. This is my fault. I shouldn't be here anymore. So I, I was actually had convinced myself that I it would be better off for me and for everyone else in my life if I exited my life. I had Mm. convinced myself that actually me leaving this earth would be good for everyone. Yeah, they would be sad for a while, but in the long run, it'll be much better because you see, all I do is wreck things anyway, and there's no hope in this getting any better. Nothing will change. And I was kind of thinking in my mind at one point, Things that I would look forward to in the future, it was like, okay, could I be a great gymnast, a businesswoman, start a career, make money? And, you know, none of that stuff I felt was worth living for. I was like, now all this stuff is things that'll just come and go anyway. My corpse won't care about it when I'm gone. (laughs) Like, Mm. it's like, there's no point. But I hear some voice in my head going like, Hey, just embrace what you the loneliness you feel right now and stick to being your true self. And eventually you will do something that the world will care about. And that is what sent this jolt through my body and mind about I felt the jolt of life coming back to me. I was like, oh, I'm looking for something that I can do after being my true authentic self that the world will care about and appreciate. I don't know what that thing is. They didn't tell me, you know, that's the voice I, I feel is God himself. At the time I didn't understand that at all. Cause I didn't grow up Christian. I didn't understand what that might be. So I'm like, wow, I'm hearing voices. This is crazy, but I'm liking him. I'm liking this weird disembodied voice I'm feeling. With more understanding, I personally believe that that's what it's like to have God himself tell you your mission. So that is what motivated me to actually search within myself for what I feel is worth living for now. And you know, that's a lot of the premise of the type of coaching that I'm doing these days is really aimed at helping people figure out what their true passions and desires are. And when you have that really nailed in, then other things follow very well. Then you will naturally desire to take good care of yourself. That part of your mind that says, destroy, 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 will get muted to the point where it doesn't talk to you little or at all anymore because you have connected with your core authenticity your passion that gives you purpose that 
is what puts healthy habits on autopilot and makes you go from desiring these destructive things because you think that in some way it's helping you to actually desiring what is truly healthy for yourself. So, I mean, even after I had that revelation, it was still an uphill battle because of... I didn't exactly know what to do. I just knew what motivated me. I'm like, okay, now I have a vague sense of my goal, but I wasn't sure like what to do really. Mm. And what I felt was right for me was in contradiction to what a doctor that I was working with at that time felt was right for me. So there was still that struggle and dissonance right there. But, you know, we managed to work it out. I mean, there was no point that I felt the recovery process was going smoothly. It was all just like trudging through one day at a time, gritting your teeth the whole time. But I made it work at the time. I mean, of course, I had a lot of other personal development to work on because later on in my teens, I got into drinking abusively. I got into rounds of severe depression in my early 20s, even when everything was going fine. And I felt very good, actually. Sometimes those inner wounds are not fully healed, even though things feel fine right now. So they can surface. I think my history of having migraines, I know that migraines are largely correlated to depression. It makes you more prone to anxiety and depression. So I had that. I had the post-traumatic stress, re-experiencing like those moments where I'm sick and feeling like I'm dying, um, the dreams about death and, um, I just didn't really know what kind of mindset I should hold on to. It was a matter of like, me what finding what I feel is right for myself versus the kind of quote wisdom I was getting from the world, like stigmas and whatnot. <laughs> like, oh, mm-hmm. I would hear some uh, people who I guess were trying to help me feel better, but going, oh, just don't let yourself be sad, depressed, and tired. Just keep yourself busy and keep working, working, working. So you don't have time to feel any sadness, depression, fatigue. And so I'd get into that extreme overtraining, overworking. In my early 20s, I was into music and I did acrobatic contemporary dance. So I would get into this ridiculous overtraining obsessions or I needed to always eat perfectly. I needed to do perfect in training. If I even made mistakes in training, I would completely lose my shit sometimes. I would feel again like I'm going to die because I put all my worth into that. And so eventually I got into bulimia. That was in my early 20s because, um, yeah, it was just one moment where I was rehearsing my acro guitar dance performance because I do a lot of hybrid performing arts. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I was just making mistakes. And I was just so, so paranoid that uh, I would never do anything of value. Basically, I was in just like this crazy attack of extreme panic. Again, like re-experiencing a traumatic moments. I was totally not in my head at all. I was like, super, super disconnected from my surrounding reality. 
I say, yeah, I'll just go like eat all the food there in the fridge and shelf and then vomit it up. And I was like, what did I just do? I was not even thinking about that at all. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm not going to do that again because that was nasty. But I, I knew I would do it again. I totally knew I would do that again because it shows these unhealed wounds, right? So mm-hmm. I keep on doing that. I get into, again, more drinking heavily. So I take it a pretty long break from drinking from like 19 through 22. But it was like, that got me back into that as well, the alcohol and it was crazy because I was still, I was doing like a type of hybrid performing arts. I called the acro guitar ninja or the acro guitarist, where I would actually experiment with the combination of acrobatics, dance and guitar playing. And that was so refreshing. It was my method of trailblazing and doing something that's super authentic and unique to myself. But um, mm. the same time, I had a lot of anxiety about feeling like I am just alone going against every grain. So at that point in my life, I hadn't yet found the headspace to really blaze my own trail. I was still very nervous about that. I feel like that anxiety came out a lot in that thing of the binge and purgings. Again, vomiting was something very normal to me as a migraine sufferer, drinking, After I tried to get help for that, uh, I wasn't a good fit with the therapist. Uh, It just didn't work out either. So yeah, then I got really discouraged. Right after I fell out with that therapist, I was meeting with a boy I was seeing at the time, and he was a big drug users. I'd previously said no, but at that point I was like, well, if this bulimia doesn't kill me anyway, I was like, Bulimia will kill me anyway at this point. I don't see how I'm getting out of this. So might as well. So that's why I tried the drug with him and got into that. So um, yeah, I guess it's always been a matter of me having to reconnect with my core authenticity and being okay with it. I mean, when I was a little bit farther into my 20s, I was again, I was like bulimic and a poly substance addict. I hear the same kind of voice like just embrace the loneliness now and someday you'll do something that the world will value it's like okay i'm searching for something Mm. but i know it's a really important something because i'm gonna trust the voice of god that at the time i still didn't understand but i was like i feel like i need to trust this and go with it so um i'll ask you if you have any other questions after that story no, I, I mean, first of all, just yeah, thank you for for sharing, and I, I, I resonate with so much of yeah. so many bits of what you you speak of of my own experience with um, disordered eating and eating disorders, and um, yeah, there's there's so much to that, and I, I have I have kind of multiple questions, and I'm I'm concerned that I'm not going to be able to stick to the time um, because of it, but I, I guess my my first one is I. I'm really interested in how, because you said you didn't really have uh, faith before, and yeah. and now like through your eating disorder, kind of you you found some faith. And do you feel that helps with your recovery then, like ha- having this, yeah. um, yeah, this, yeah, ha- ha- ex- kind of explain that to me how you feel about that and how that how that linked in with your recovery. Yeah, because you know what, I would hear that kind of voice 
that's trying to guide me. I know that it's trying to guide me. It's telling me to go against the grain of what others mm-hmm. are telling me to do in the world. But it promised something so good that I felt it was worth going to. So that is something where it has helped me to be able to discern because we hear a lot of wisdom in the world. It is very valued to um, like deny your own human desires in exchange for discipline and achievement and worldly material success. And a lot of people like athletes pursue that a lot, Right. And a lot of the time they go on to list that as one of their regrets. I mean, we see, because I did gymnastics, These a lot of the gymnasts who've competed in the Olympics are saying like, well, if I could go back, I would have taken better care of my physical and mental health. Mm-hmm. Like Simone Biles had to drop out of her second Olympics for part of it. Yeah. And you know, I think that it is something where we're always at grips because athletes are always fairly young, keep in mind. It's always people in their childhood or young adulthood. And the types of things that will help you win a gold medal when you're young are not necessarily sustainable throughout life. Mm. And that's such a big struggle that athletes can face. And so um, gradually being able to understand what these voices of God were, first of all, that it tied in directly to the teachings of God in Christ and the New Testament. It's something where I gradually started being open to learning about it because my parents came from a place that was not Christian at all. It was the Soviet Union. It was very atheist. But you know, I'd have some Christian friends here and there who would tell me little um, bits of it. But um, in high school, I didn't resonate with that at all. I tried to go to a Christian club, but I felt like with these kids and they're not being spiritually and mentally mature yet, they would use it as a club, like a click. I mean, being anorexic and skinny and not fitting in visually. I literally overheard them say, I don't like her. She's anorexic. She's weird. I was like, what so much for fellowship so that actually turned me away from anything spiritual or religious which is why I got into so much of that performance obsession in my early 20s because I was so much trying to get this earthly material achievement I thought it was a good thing to deny my body mind and heart desires in exchange for achievement like being admired being successful making money and stuff like that being a really mm-hmm. successful performing artist and you know that really bit me in the ass I feel like if I had a strong faith at that time I would not have needed to be so panicked in that moment I described when I was like rehearsing and I got into bulimia that would not have been necessary I would not have been so disappointed when that that therapist didn't work out it's because he was constantly interrupting me to talk about his sad childhood. I was just like, therapy session is this man. I thought I was supposed to talk about my feelings here, but um, that, yeah, I would not have needed to get into substance abuse to 
you know, try to manipulate myself to be this way. It's very admired in entrepreneurship and performing arts and athletics to be able to stay up for long periods, keep working, working, working. If you have anxiety, kill the anxiety. If you have fatigue, just kill the fatigue. So yeah, I was like, alcohol to kill anxiety, stimulants to keep myself up and working, back and forth, back and forth. I was like, if I had just had faith in my inner resources that come from God himself, that would not have been necessary. I learned about the Holy Spirit of Christ and how to tap into that more and how to feel it working. Um, Oh yeah. A few years ago when late 2016, early 17, I met my current husband and he's a Christian. So it helped also that he was into a faith. Mm. I didn't have to go against the grade anymore with that. Yeah. So that, that helped a lot yeah. because we can actually guide each other in strengthening mm. faith. Yeah. And I suppose, I suppose having that relationship through something as strong as someone's faith is, is, is important and it's, it's really interesting to me because i was just the reason i asked about it was because um i, I so my kind of my history I, I personally don't really um have a faith in any kind of religion but I, I do think that and i can kind of see the power that spirituality and things can have in different people and i see it in friends who i have who kind of span across several different faith, faiths and also um my family are quite christian um, at least my my parents anyway, um, and I see how much it's it's it helps them, and and I, I always I wonder you know whether that's something that we haven't tapped into enough in the care that we give for eating disorders. That kind of obviously it might not be for everyone, mm-hmm. um, but you know some people don't like the idea of it. But I do think there's maybe some something there that that some people might really benefit from, but for some reason we're we're not. Um, looking into it but I, I'm really conscious that we're already half an hour in I know we want to try and stick to just around an hour and we haven't even spoke about your work yet so <laughs> I feel like we should probably probably move um move on um but yeah thank you so much for sharing that and I would love to hear more but like I said we need to stick to time um so I I, I and yeah you've gone through all this stuff and it's it, it sounds so difficult and it's really great to hear people's stories we talk like I have lived experience with an eating disorder and, and yeah, things. And, I've heard that um, on your- oh thank you yeah and and I speak speak to people all the time about it and I think as you said you know people tend to think of one thing when they think of eating disorders yeah. they think of kind of narcissism and being full of yourself mm-hmm. and all these things and mm-hmm. um, actually there's so much more nuance and, and hearing different people's stories hearing your story and how it contrasts mine and other people we've spoken to and mm-hmm. um, you know it it shows that nuance and that you know you really can't just kind of label everyone with an eating disorder as as you know mm-hmm. this one thing um, and and now you're you're doing your work with your coaching business and I know that you you have a knowledge with kind of S and C strength and conditioning and also this um, somatic therapy, um, which is what you yeah. use to help people. Um, could you tell us a bit more about that? I know you've already touched on it a little bit, but could you kind of go into it a bit more? Yeah, well, I combine a lot of different modalities. I mean, it's actually been difficult to figure out the kind of path I should be on because my background is pretty diverse. I have the Mm. athletics, the dance, the experimental performing arts, the music. That's actually what I went to school for originally was music. And then then I have these 
dark sides, you could say, with like eating disorders and addiction, depression, trauma. I was like, what direction should I go? Like, it all has a place. So I call it the inner demon crusher cycle. How exactly I help people through a process. Because the way it starts is your why. There are five phases. So the first one is your, like, as far as the why, it's a lot of different things. Why do you feel you're having these struggles? What got you into it? And well, usually people can't pinpoint every single thing. That is something that you explore over time. But you could definitely pinpoint some factors that contributed. And also, why do you want to recover? And that is also something that you eventually build up on more. But we could have a starting point. Like, what are your passions and desires? Um. With eating disorders, I've actually found the opposite of the stereotype. Instead of narcissism, everyone I've ever known with an eating disorder is very far on the empath spectrum, meaning that they're very emotional. They're, that's why they get the eating disorder. It's usually a matter of feeling emotion very strongly and caring a lot about pleasing other people. Uh, it has a lot to do with people pleasing a lot of the time. So that actually is the opposite of narcissism, being very into like helping people feel good about you, feeling your own emotions strongly. Mm. Um, yeah. And also why it's a cycle is because you have to keep on cycling around these things. So we start with an idea of your why, your purpose, your goals, and then we go on to starting to build a mind-body connection with basic somatic exercises. That could be like deep belly breathing, meditation, also a sense of feeling how emotions feel in your body. So that's very important because eating disorders have a lot to do with a way of managing emotions that you don't want to feel. So, for example, when you start to get stressed, what does that physically feel like? If you can identify the physical feelings and actually relax the areas of physical attention, that in turn helps your mind calm down and focus as well. And when your mind is calmer and more focused, then your logical brain can be more active. Because when you're in a stress situation, it's your impulsive or reptile brain that's very active and there needs to be a balance of all three, your emotional, logical, and impulsive brain. They all need to be in balance. So um, eating disorders and addiction have a lot to do with one of those being overly active and you trying to do something to kill it off. So actually through this mind-body connection, you can learn how to recognize when each of those brains is active and be able to balance them, also regulate emotion, emotional drivers, like with bulimia and binge eating. And anorexia, actually, all of those have to do with them. You tend to feel stressed and anxious around food. So if you can feel the tension that that presents in your body, regulate your breathing, regulate your physical feeling, that in turn can help you calm down a lot around food and appreciate the nourishment you're getting. Also, to be able to... Um, like for example, when I was in bulimia, sometimes I'd eat like a whole cake or a whole tub of ice cream. And I know that that's really not the healthiest thing to do. So then I, oh, I regret it. So I vomit it, right? 
So when you can relax around food, then you can make sure that you're eating in a healthier way. So mind-body connection is phase two. That helps a lot already. Then phase number three, I go into, we use really finding your voice, like neuro-linguistic type work, but I really use music as a premise of that because my background is in music and I am so aware of how much singing and songwriting can help you get confidence in using your voice, expressing yourself honestly, because a lot of people with eating disorders actually struggle to express their feelings in words to other people. So um, using a song as a guider of that, like a song that you relate to, and practicing actually voicing those lyrics. Like you don't have to be a great singer, but just the act of doing that, it lets you feel your voice and uh, the kinds of emotions that that brings up. A great way of feeling your honest feelings and knowing how to regulate them and you know, confidence in speaking up. I personally like to use um, songwriting as well. And I encourage other people to do that as well. Clients who I work with, I'm like, can you use this as an inspiration to write something of your own, like song or poetry, or just something like a diary entry? Like, how can you express yourself through words and your voice? And then I got to phase four, I do more like natural movements, like dance improv. Again, music plays a big role because you can just turn on a song that you resonate with, let your body move naturally. That helps you appreciate body movement. Think so much less about image and also performance and athletic performance. We can get so much like, oh, no, I messed up on that skill. Therefore, I'm worthless. Therefore, my life is going nowhere. I'm, you know, so appreciate your body's natural movement. And it even takes some honesty. Like maybe you're in a sport that's truly not the best fit for you. And maybe it's okay for you to switch to another sport if you find that it's more in line with the way your body naturally wants to move. And then in phase mm-hmm. five, I get more into functional fitness. That is something that kind of depends on the person. So functional fitness can be anything from someone with no athletic background can just get used to walking for like 10 minutes a day. Or one client who I'm working with is, um, he's not used to training on a regular basis. So we just say, okay, just try to do five minutes a day of rowing because he has a rowing machine at his house. Mm-hmm. Rowing, this is not about trying to lose weight. You know, he feels self-conscious about uh, having a belly bulge. Like right now, it's just about getting used to um, the movement of your body and how um, he says it helps him feel more energized and self-confident mm-hmm. to do that functional movement. And also on the weekend, spending 10 minutes jogging. It helps give him a lot of self-confidence and that in turn helps him regulate his emotions better because he also struggles with a lot of angry outbursts like rage. And then for an athlete, the functional movement, I'd make it more related to their sports. That's what I use, strength and conditioning, helping an athlete to tell when they might be overtraining versus sometimes we have the opposite. We're like so afraid of overtraining that we don't reach our potential. So just having a good headspace about how much and what mode to train efficiently. Amazing. Yeah. And it's, it's funny as you, as you were kind of explaining that, um, 
kind of through my recovery journey, I kind of did similar steps to, to your kind of yeah, thing, right. like almost almost accidentally, which is interesting. Because um, mm-hmm. you were talking about uh, the kind of the stress around food, yeah. um, and and for me, a big a big problem for me was like the binge eating, bulimia um, side of it. And what my my counselor when I first started working with um, a counselor, one of the big things that he told me to do was just like the obviously it doesn't fit for everyone so don't, people don't feel like you have to mimic this um but for me um he basically just said you know just allow yourself to binge eat and just don't 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 be ashamed of it and for 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 a while a big a big like thing that helped me was um you know if if i feel like binge eating instead of beating myself about it and trying to stop myself and then eventually kind of exploding just let yourself do it and then over time I kind of lost that stress and that shame around the food and around eating and and that really helped me and then the next one you mentioned was around singing and finding your own own voice so it was another thing that re- resonated with me was a big part of my recovery was writing poetry and I used to journal and write poetry about how I felt and and similar to what you were saying like that ability to find like uh, I guess kind of explore the way I thought and explore the way I felt and find my voice that you said um uh, and then the um, the other one we were talking, you were talking about, uh, you know, like finding movement that fits the way that you feel, and that was a big part for me as well. Was I used to exercise in the way that I thought I was supposed to, and a big part of my recovery was allowing myself to do stuff that I found was fun rather than stuff that I mm-hmm. thought I would I needed to do or I was supposed to do. So it was just really funny when you were saying it. I was like, I kind of did this, like you know, but just in like a, in a slightly different way. You know what? I feel like when something truly works, people end up doing it. And the people who don't do it are not as successful. Because, yeah, that is so cool how you've incorporated parts of that as well. And, you know, I feel like a lot of what inhibits people in recovery is not accepting these things that work. Because that's what blocked me in my own recovery was like the... In the first recovery phase, when I was anorexic in my early teens, I felt like dance and gymnastics were helping me recover. Yet, my doctor it was just a general practitioner. I never saw anyone who was specialized in eating disorders. She's like, oh, no, don't let her burn calories. You need to restrict her movement. You need to make sure she doesn't move at all. You know, she should be in a hospital where she's just in a bed and not allowed to move. I was like... I didn't have the right words to articulate this, but I was like, no, because when I am naturally you know, moving, it feels good in my body. Then I feel like it's okay for me to eat. I feel like my anxiety around food goes away, not because I quote burned calories and earned it, but because my subconscious brain says, okay, you are using your muscles and your energy. So now allow yourself to replenish that and refuel. And you know, it was so funny because there's, I feel like the teen rebellion <laughs> tied into that because sometimes I'd be thinking to myself, I can, I remember the specific instant where I was like, I could go for a cookie right now. Yeah, we got that chewy chocolate chip cookie. It sounds good. Then my dad was like, you have to eat cookie. I'm like, and now I don't want it. <laughs> like mm. I, I was a teenager and that, I mean, come on, I'm still a very rebellious person. I mean, my whole life is like, I want to go against the grade, but <laughs> well, yeah, sometimes when you have the hell you need to do this, it makes you not want to do it. I'm, yeah. Just mm. feeling like it's okay to do what actually works here. 
Yeah, and it just it kind of yeah, it almost feels like the this, these kind of like foundational steps to recovering. And I'm 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 no therapist myself, but it kind of I feel like there's repeated things that I see in people, which is you know reducing that that shame and and stress around these behaviors. You know, kind of forgiving yourself for doing the things that you you feel like you you dislike about yourself or whatever it is. And then, you know, invest. One of the things I always think about is, you know, obviously going through mental health struggles in anything is really horrible. And, and, uh, you know, it's not, it's not something that I'd hope people to go through, but I think everyone that I speak to who has been through a similar kind of journey to myself and gone through something really dark and and horrible. And you come out the other side so much more self-aware and so much more um, you have this kind of other part of your brain that you've unlocked because you've had to investigate it. Um, And that that kind of self-investigation is such a big step. And then that that final one, which is the, I guess, letting go of those rules and letting go of that rigidity and that um yeah but it, it, it's obviously it's so hard it's not it's, it's not a, like you were saying with your story it's not something that's um very kind of easy and linear you know there's lots of sets setbacks and it's and it, there's struggles and and all sorts of different things that come into it but yeah it kind of all comes down to those yeah those kind of underlying aspects that that seem to just seem to just crop up in everyone's recovery journey that i speak to um, yeah because you know when something works you see that everyone who's successful sort of taps into that in some way like not everyone becomes a musician like myself who recorded albums and goes on tour but they at least listen to music like I was talking about um, another lady who was also on your podcast Victoria Kleinsman that she was very inspired by music and moving her body doing some basic dance improv even if you're not training as a dancer and musician I mean you see these things come up all the time and you know, for me, a big struggle was accepting them. Like, um, don't you feel like one of the biggest problems is feeling bad about feeling bad, right? Like you said mm-hmm. that you allowed, when you allowed yourself to just binge eat, it was not really the binge eating itself that was the biggest problem for you. At least it sounds like it was the shame and guilt around binge eating. Yeah. Yeah. That makes you want to do it again. Because what happens is that then you label yourself as I'm a person who cannot control my impulses around food. You know, in fact, I can't control my impulses around anything. You know, all those people who've told me I'm I'm too impulsive, I don't know how to think straight, that I'm stupid, I can't make good decisions for myself. They were right, because this is clearly proof that I can't think for myself. Therefore, I need to fill in the blank with some dark spiral here. Like for me, that's what mm-hmm. substance abuse is also a big thing like that. I had this weird thing at one point where I would, it was like, I don't know, this weird, well, I don't know what to call it. It was like, so, you know, in bulimia, you would binge eat and then purge somehow. Like for me, it was vomiting because I felt guilty. But at one point, I guess I got tired of stabbing my throat. It was like at some point I had spent some time away from vomiting. And instead, what I would do is drink a lot of alcohol because I was purging the shame and guilt around the binge. So I wasn't bothered by the fact of knowing that I ate a lot of calories. I didn't care about that so much, but I felt guilty and ashamed of myself for having gone out of control with food. So then I drink a lot to try to forget that and like 
cancel out the shame and guilt. I was like, I feel like for myself, combining these different types of dark addictive spirals, it really called out what the true motive was. Like it really showed me that bulimia and even anorexia was never about trying to lose weight really, even though in bulimia, I didn't even weigh myself. I didn't care about that. It was entirely uh, trying to get rid of extreme pent up frustration. Anorexia, I did weigh myself a lot, but it wasn't about the weight. I was trying to starve myself of things I felt ashamed of about myself. And it always tied back to some emotion I didn't want to feel, which is, uh, I think that that is universal in anyone's recovery journey from anything, even if it's like gambling addiction or substance abuse, eating disorders, whatever it is, it seems like it all ties into some um, emotion you don't want to feel and um mm. you probably felt that way yeah i mean yeah there's a lot of similarities there especially yeah like you say i think the i think shame plays a big part of it i think it's something that comes up in a lot of the research around binge eating disorder particularly that there's even like and this is something i felt myself was there's even like a separation in who you are you kind of you mm. see these two sides of yourself this side of yourself that you're ashamed of and and fearful of people seeing because you think it's so horrible and then yeah, this side of yourself that you'll show to people and then yeah that was something i i felt very strongly um yeah jeez i was talking about this with my my counselor i, I still see mm. some counseling about this i actually just started like a year ago actually if so i took a long time from not seeing any sort of counselor because i had such bad experiences and like a year ago i found one who seemed like would be a good fit so i was like oh, okay i'll try it out a little bit i really like this one a lot i do you feel like with any kind of addictive spiral descent, a divided sense of self is a really big factor? I mean, I personally had a really hard time figuring out what I want my coaching to be. Or should I be a coach? Should I just be a performing artist? Should I just be a storyteller, like an author and a speaker who just like, and then what's, what's my message? What's my purpose? What's my story? What's my target market? I like go crazy on this because there was this, the way that I feel internally and the way I feel that people want to see me. So for example, people have always wanted to see me as a quote, good girl. So I always presented as a good girl to them but then people extra close like who live with me will see the other side and then they sometimes they feel personally hurt because um you know you can't put on a mask all the time right if, if you're trying to be a good little girl or whatever you can't and it's not in a way that's not authentic i mean i'm not saying that i'm not a good person i'm not saying that i think i'm evil i just mean that there are certain standards of a quote good little girl like being very quiet um agreeing with authority figures people pleasing at your own expense things like that hmm. also like yeah, not not sharing the darker sides of the story and stuff like that so sometimes people will feel personally offended if they see the other side of me that has this pent-up frustration they think i'm you know being mean to them on purpose but like like oh you're nice to everyone else why are you mean to me i'm like well it's just that i honestly do have some pent-up frustration that you are seeing <laughs> mm. yeah and it, the, the whole like 
kind of um yeah trying to be this i i used to say i always acted like the golden boy in the I, sense that when i was growing again i feel like we have quite a lot of similarities in our right. stories here um i was exactly the same in, in that i would try and be this perfect person like very people pleasy i you know i would kind of mold myself to whatever i needed to be to make those people like me and, and not offend anyone and you know be the the bet like yeah the good the good boy you know in that in that sense um and I'm, I'm I'm gonna kind of move on to the next question again because I'm seeing the time we're on, and I don't want I want to make sure we can talk about everything. But it's really interesting, and I feel like we could do a podcast for three hours. <laughs> so, um, yeah. uh, I, um, I I read in your newsletter you and you spoke a little bit about this kind of this somatic practitioner, but you mentioned yeah. that you're a trauma informed somatic mm-hmm. practitioner. Um, can you tell me a bit more about what what that means? Like, what is a somatic practitioner, and what what does it mean to be trauma informed? Yeah, so somatic practitioner. Somatic is a term that means mind body connection. So, somatic practitioner is someone who helps people accomplish something that they want through exploring the mind body connection. So, in my particular work, it's actually a combination of emotional healing, breaking off addictive cycles, and finding your passion. So, it's like a a wave of all that stuff. And trauma-informed is just a term used in the field, meaning that you are informed or educated about the effects of trauma on the human brain and in the context of somatics, how they present in the body. So, for example, understanding if a person had a certain type of emotional trauma, they might be very... Like, this is how I have felt. Go from being very hyperactive, oh, rush, 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 really, that's that nervous anxiety, and then eventually crashing and being very fatigued. So we call hyperstimulation. That's that nervous anxiety. Too much energy, got to burn, burn, burn. That's where you see, like, paranoia, worry, and also um, athletes often vent that kind of frustrated hyperstimulation energy through extreme physical exertion, like heavy lifting, fast sprinting, tumbling, uh, extreme sports and things like that. They're very exerting. And then, but you can't maintain that forever. So then you might crash and go into hypostimulation. That's where you feel really fatigued. That's like um, major depression is like that. You can't seem to turn yourself fully on. So, yeah, that's just an example of how one can be trauma-informed. So let's say if you notice a mm. um, like a client has come to you saying, man, I've just been so fatigued for the last three months. I mean, I'm exhausted all the time. I was such a great athlete, but for the last three months, I just feel like walking from one side of my house to the other is exhausting. Like, okay, that's hypostimulation. That can be a symptom of depression. That is likely a sign of some sort of emotional trauma that they're carrying. So basically a way of connecting the dots. Ah, okay. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I, I think you, I hear, especially trauma-informed, I hear that term quite often. And I'm just yeah, interested in, in how different people kind of identify with it. And yeah, so thank you for that. Um, you, you mentioned kind of athletes there in your explanation. And I know yeah. that you... You, te- you work with athletes and performers and obviously you're an af- athlete and performer yourself. Um, what is it about what 
you do that works so well for that group in particular? Yeah, because, you know, my whole thing is about helping people go from a dark obsession that's rooted in some sort of emotional scar to finding their passion and channeling it into healthy avenues that are in line with their core authenticity. So athletes are a perfect fit for that because athletes are very driven, ambitious people. Like that is part of it. But you know, when you have drive and ambition it's very easy for that to go in the wrong direction. If you have just a little bit of a negative influence, like for example, um, in my case, a girl who I did gymnastics and cheer with was body shaming a lot. That made me go from, you know, kind of screwing around a little bit with restriction to being like really for real ashamed of my body. And it can come from coaches. Um, I've also done gymnastics with some coaches who are into enforcing a body type. I've had coaches who call out a girl, like, oh, you're fat, you need to lose weight, you shouldn't eat meat for a while and things like that. So unfortunately, the people who are trying to help you can be sometimes the ones who um, send you on the wrong path. So uh, being able to recognize when you have a potentially a toxic environment. I mean, I even quit gymnastics. So I was actually on and off with gymnastics because I've had some coaches who were just a very bad fit for me mentally. They made me feel bad in some capacities. So, you know, recognizing what you love about the sport versus what could be a negative influence and being able to identify if you need to change to a different facility with work with a different coach, maybe even change to another sport. Like maybe why did you get into this sport? Is it because someone you knew did it? And you thought it was cool? Is it because it was your parents' idea? It was because you saw it on TV? But maybe that wasn't really the best choice for you. So after we explore these things like mind-body connection, natural movement, functional fitness, we might find that a different sport could be a better avenue. And, you know, athletes are very prone to uh, body obsessions, performance obsessions, people-pleasing Sports like gymnastics or ice skating have a whole perfect 10, that score system, extreme perfectionism. Now, with all of those, there are certain positive elements and negatives that can result. So we just try to find where are the positives, how to maximize them, and where are the negatives and how to not get caught up in that. Hmm. Great answer. Yeah, I really like that. And I, yeah, I think gymnastics tends to be, uh, at least there's quite a lot of research looking at the those kind of uh, gravity-defying sports and disordered eating for, for several different things. And I think it can be something that that group in particular really uh, is at high risk of, I guess you would say. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, it's really, really interesting. Um, okay, Lilia, it is time everyone's favorite section of the pod for the devil's advocate and the, the terrible um, jingle that I'm going to play now. (laughs) It's the devil's advocate. (laughs) Oh, it never gets old. Never gets old. Um, (laughs) um, So for the people who are new to the pod, who don't know about the devil's advocate, the devil's advocate is a section that we brought in and had for a while now where a lot of the time, like in this podcast, I agree with my guests throughout it. And I wanted to bring in a section where I ask something a bit more controversial, where I embody the devil's advocate and kind of go against my guests. So today's devil's advocate question is, 
athletes and performers need to be tough. They must push through adversity on a regular occurrence. Don't you think focusing on their trauma will just lead them to feeling sorry for themselves? Well, maybe with other coaches, but not with me and my demon crusher cycle. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because maybe with others. I mean, honestly, I do see people who are in emotional healing journeys who do... I I mean, I don't want to criticize anyone's healing journey because everyone does have a way that works for them to heal. But sometimes I do. It's very easy for um, someone to get into feeling like everything's a trauma response. Like if you eat, sleep, or take a dump, that's a trauma response. If you're energetic today, that's a trauma response because you're in, you know, stress and repressed anxiety. If you're tired today, that's a trauma response because that's a sign of depression. If you want to eat a lot, that's a trauma response because your brain is trying to use food to cope with something. If you don't feel like eating quite now because you got full a little faster, that's a trauma response too because you're subconsciously trying to restrict. I mean, yeah. So maybe with other coaches, but not with me because mine my whole cycle is a cycle for one thing so like I said you start with your why and you go through all these things from the voice to the functional movement and then it takes you back to your why your purpose and create a whole new set of goals and now you work off of again and strengthening all of these skills all the time it's a rotational cycle so you constantly reinforce the badassery the whole goal is that you're not focusing on your trauma just to keep on spinning around stories from your past life, trying to find something new and something old. Because it is good to do some reflection like that. But at the same time, it's like you can keep on spinning around that forever and ever and ever. It is about how to discover what your natural traits truly are and channel those in the best possible directions. So that's what it's about. We look at the trauma, not to get you to feel like you're just broken and twisted as a person, not to feel like you're defective, but rather like, okay, the fact is that if you had this sort of developmental trauma, like for example, I'll use mine again, I had to be separated from my parents sometimes as we were going between America and Bulgaria, harboring a lot of stress. I even had a a boy who was my friend, uh, my best friend in kindergarten, first grade, but he liked to do stuff to my body. So yeah, all of that contributed to this desire for self-control and self-consciousness about my body. It's like, okay, we know that as a fact. And it's not to just stay feeling all sorry about it. It is to see, okay, so we have this fact, we have this desire for self-control. Therefore, because I have this desire for self-control, it's not a good fit for me to be a nine to five employee. It's a better fit for me to be an entrepreneur and a business owner. As an artist, it's not a good fit for me to be on a record label where that record would, um, control every aspect of me. I don't know if people are aware of this, but um, pop artists, those famous people, don't get to make many decisions for themselves. They're super controlled by the record labels. Like knowing that I have this desire for self-control that's been deeply rooted in past hardship experiences, I know that if I feel over-controlled by something, it's going to bring up a lot of bad shit 
I know that I should avoid those kinds of situations because they're just not a good fit for me. So instead, I'm going to channel my desire for self-control into being this independent entrepreneur. But at the same time, I have to make sure that I don't go so into control, 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 that I'm just trying to take charge of things that really are out of my control. So now I realize that I have to make this balance between, okay, if something's truly out of my control, how to be kind of flexible and work with that. And, Mm -hmm. but overall give myself a place where I can make my own decisions. So like that kind of thing, how exactly your personal history and the emotional responses you have to it can inform the types of directions that are a good path for you to take. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And I, so, yeah, I, I do really like that answer of, you know, I do think that there can become a tendency where we over pathologize or kind of over, you know, like you say, like think that everything is a, some kind of trauma and some kind of traumatic event or some kind of trauma response, even should I say. Um, and I, yeah, I think you, you're right in that I do think sometimes people get lost in in kind of labeling things rather than being more proactive in working towards things. And obviously, you know, everyone has their own experiences and has different ways of dealing with things. But I do, yeah, I, I suppose I do worry sometimes when I see on on social media and stuff so much about how everything is this linked to, to oh. your trauma response. I'm so glad I'm not the only one who feels that way, man, because I mean, on one hand, the awareness that they're raising these days is good. Like the biggest shift I've seen in the last 20 years since I started my first recovery journey is that awareness can become an overload. You know, we went from society not knowing most of society and doctors not hardly not knowing shit about the emotional trauma related to eating disorders to now everything's a trauma response and too much awareness, too much awareness, right? So that's what makes my coaching so incredibly unique and helpful for ambitious people. Sometimes ambitious people want to avoid therapeutic healing because they feel like they're just going to spend so much time spinning around all this past life stuff that Mm. they, and they're worried that, no, my therapist is going to tell me to quit my sport and stuff like that. But I mean, the way that I do it, I, present it as like, we're trying to align your history, your emotional profile, your desires, all of that mind, body, soul, past, present, future, the emotional, impulsive and intellectual brains. We're just trying to make you work in alignment with yourself. Hmm. Yeah, I I do think it's, um, I don't know if it's, if I, I think it's necessarily that it's too much awareness, but I think it's more that like as awareness gets more and more, it starts to get interweaved with misinformation or yeah, mislabeling. I guess so. Yeah, I, that is a, yeah. a better way to phrase it. Thank you. Yeah, I think I, I think you know no. I just I think yeah I, I think it's it's as we kind of um, the metaphor I'm thinking of is you know as we kind of fill the lake more and more and we increase awareness more and more you're kind of allowing for more muddying of the water because there's so yeah. much there it's so hard to know which one's this correct information and which one's just people you know and and, and you know not it's really hard to know which one's which but some people are just kind of jumping on the bandwagon to some degree and they're just kind of putting out information that people will go yeah that must be right and it's really hard to kind of 
find where that is. Um, and I think, yeah, trauma stuff could, to some degrees can become that, um, which is, which is, yeah, diff- really difficult to, to find exactly where the, where the right information is. And which is why I think it's really important people do their kind of own reading and own um, looking into stuff. But then that's not always that easy for everyone as well. And that's kind of coming from maybe a privileged position of um, where I'm at, but, yeah, it's really really interesting stuff, and uh, yeah, really great, really great answer. Yeah, honestly, like here's the thing: how to make your mental health problems worse? Be extremely paranoid about having mental health problems. Literally, <laughs> it's like how do you be, just like what we were talking about? Feeling ashamed of feeling bad is what makes you feel a lot more bad and ashamed. It's like mm. like that. So yeah, that's what's so unique about my coaching is that it is all supposed to be in line with your personal authenticity and goals. So trying to help you make goals that are in line with your authenticity. Understanding your personal authenticity is related to understanding your past life and for better at the good and the bad, you know, how that affected you and just being honest with it. But it is to drive you forward, right? It's not to get you to keep going back, back, back. It's about that hmm. forward drive. Brilliant. Thank you. Um, and we're, we're coming up to time now, so I'm going to move us on to the final three. Okay. Um, I ask these uh, three final questions to people at the end of every one of my podcasts. Um, so I'm going to go with the first one, which is name a person that inspires you. Okay, yeah. I am super inspired. That lady, Malala Yousafzai, I hope I pronounced her name right. Probably not. Malala She's the girl who was shot point blank in the head by the Taliban for advocating girls' education, the youngest Nobel Prize winner. Uh, She is just so impressive, the way Mm. that she keeps pushing forward with that spirit. And on top of that, she actually has a good sense of humor and lightness about herself, too, which I think is very admirable, that she is not just this grim reaper of dark energy talking about all the problems in the world, that she really does such a great job of showing, here's the problem, but then here's the solution that we can make, and here are some genuine results amazing yeah amazing person and very inspirational person i do know who you're talking about and mm-hmm. um, yeah absolutely incredible incredible person and um, good great choice okay um number two and i suppose you've, you've already spoke about this a little bit but this is always my favorite one because so i'm interested to what you um say um name a phase of your life that you didn't like at the time but looking back you know that positives came from it yeah like everything from yesterday on right now okay <laughs> zero in on a specific one and yeah i just go with that first experience with the anorexia nervosa recovery because you know some other times like when i was in major depression in my early 20s i was old enough to understand that with a struggle like this i'll find something on the other side even later in my 20s when i was into multiple addictions I knew that if I follow along to this voice, that I can get something good out of it. But that first one, when I was a teenager, I wasn't yet aware of how life works, basically. Mm. So I really, truly had no idea what could possibly happen after that. So I think that's the biggest one where at the moment, I just hated the moment. But now Mm. I'm like, okay, I really appreciate it. 
Brilliant. Thank you. And uh, yeah, I say I think I say this every episode, but it's always my favorite question because I think I'm sure there'll be someone listening at some point who will be going through something similar potentially. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, seeing that you've you're com- you've come out of it and you've learned something from it and you gained something from it is always a, a nice thing. Um, wow. So the third and final is name a phrase or word that changed your life. Oh, okay. There's, that's where you pick a really good one. So there is one, I'll go with one that I came up with, one that I did not come up with. So one d- that I did not come up with was a Bible verse that goes, follow not the customs of the world. It, that resonated with me so much because I felt very ashamed and guilty of going against what others around me wanted me to do and how they wanted me to be. But when I felt these internal desires to do something else because it felt so right and aligned with my soul, oh, like follow the custom. I'm sorry, follow not the customs of the world. So the um. The one that goes, do not rely on your own understanding. Seek the will of God in everything you do, and he will show you which path to take. That resonates with me a lot. Then one that I did come up with was part of my song lyrics that I sing to myself all the time. That goes, free from all the world can fall, and I will fight to save my life with what's inside my soul. It's kind of a paraphrase of that in some ways because yeah when I go free from mal the world can fall and I will fight that means that I'm not relying on things around me to be going well even if the world falls I can still save my own life with what's inside my soul so that's Mm. been very important to me amazing thank you I think you're the first guest to sing on the pod so as a first (laughs) thank you for that um yeah, if they want to check out my band, it's called Carcaza, K-A-R-K-A-Z-A, and that song is called Gold. Amazing. There you go. Um, thank you very much, Lilia. And um, yeah, thank you so much for the, the part. I, for people listening who do want to follow you as, as well as your band, you've already said your band, but um, could you kind of, I'll, I'll also put it in the description below for people who um, don't want to just listen to it and try and type it out. You'll be able to copy and paste it or follow the links below. But can you tell people where they can reach you? Yeah, sure. So my website is the best place to see all the info together that you can just find the link in description. I post a lot on TikTok because I use TikTok for those kinds of impulsive posts that I just feel like doing. And some of my best work comes out from there. So you can look at Lilia underscore Bogova. And yeah, we should link that as well because it's yeah. probably kind of hard for people to spell. And mm-hmm. my website thus far, it has been called myobeatathletics.com. I am rebranding, so the wording might change a little bit, but yeah, just as long as you follow the link to it, that will be fine. And yeah, I post on various social medias. I am starting my own podcast actually. And so far, I am calling that Crush Your Inner Demons. So we should link that as well. Oh, yeah, you'll see the host, yeah. Lilia Bogueva. 
So my podcast will be great because I will be speaking on my own and also be interviewing other people. And it'll be a really, really cool way for us to learn more about each other. It's going to be themed around people who have um, had these toxic, dark obsessions, but channeled that into positive directions. Sounds fantastic. Um thank you very much and yeah we'll, we'll kind of link everything down below and, and if things do change with your website and stuff i'll update it if you just send yeah. it across to me as okay, well so thank you. hopefully if you're listening the links down below should should work no matter what if they have if they don't i'm sure i'm in the process of updating it so come back the next day and they'll be there um okay thank you so much lilia and thank you everyone listening at home for making it all the way through another podcast and i hope to see you at the next one bye Thank you so much for listening to that episode. Here at Maya Minds, we're trying to raise awareness for all the things that we speak about in this podcast. So please, if you can, give it a share. Each and every one of you has the potential to help us with that. Also, if you want to check out mayaminds.com, please do. You can see all our social media things on there. And we'd love to have you contributing more as a part of our community. Thank you.